If you have your Bibles with you and would like to follow along, if you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, said he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then his disciples, then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came and found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still at the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it of thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection, the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she hear that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha had met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she had rose up hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, and fell down at his feet, and say unto him, Lord, 
If thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said Jesus, Behold, or then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And Jesus therefore again, groaning in, groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto the Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe that thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I say it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now, I know we read an awful lot, but we have laid out before us probably the greatest miracle, at least up to this point, of Christ's life that he has ever performed. And we need to understand it, that this, this is not just a story. This is a real history of a living person this is somebody who actually lived and walked this earth. So when we read this, we can't read this just as some sort of a, of a story or a fairy tale because that's not what this is. This is a natural history of what was a living man. So let's go back through and we, we start back in verse 1. It says, And a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Now that sick there means to be gravely ill. It means to be sick unto death. So when they got there, Lazarus was, was very, very sick, even unto death. And, and John here lays out for us in these first couple of verses all the players that we're going to have here in this, this chapter. He talks about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And these were all friends of Christ. They were his friends. And it, it says uh, very plainly here, the one whom thou lovest is sick. And in verse 5 and it says, uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we know that these were, were close friends. These were people that he loved and, and somebody that, that uh, he, he cared for deeply. And in verse 4, after he's been told they're sick, he declares his purpose for what's going to happen. He says this sickness is not unto death. But it's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. That's his purpose. That's his plan. His plan is to glorify God so that the Son of God might also be glorified. What a great plan. 
And here we see Christ, and it says that when he heard they were sick, even though he loves them, he stayed where he was for two days. Now, to a natural person, that seems kind of backwards, you know? <laughs> May 1st was seven years ago that I got out of the hospital after a very lengthy stay. I don't remember a whole lot about, as a matter of fact, I've got about a six-month period there that I don't really have a whole lot of memory of. But one of the things that I do remember, the first person that I know that came to see me was Parrish. When Wanzel was sick, one of the first people that was there was Parrish. And when Mother was sick, one of the first people was Parrish. When I called Jonathan about mother and her sickness, Jonathan was at the hospital when I got there. It's our nature that we go to be with the ones that we love, especially when they're sick. But here we see Christ. Christ he didn't do that. Christ stayed where He was. He stayed there because He had a purpose. And His purpose was to glorify God. Christ loved them, but God does not always remove our circumstances. Jesus could have gone to bed. Jesus could have from where He was thought and healed Lazarus. But He didn't do that. Christ does not always take us out of our circumstances, but Christ is always with us in our circumstances. You've been studying uh, Exodus on Wednesday, and you've talked about the plagues of Egypt. God could have brought the children of Israel out of Egypt without ever having sent the first plague. He could have put it on Pharaoh's heart to just go up to the children of Israel and say, you know what? I think y'all ought to just leave. But he didn't do that because he had a purpose and his purpose was to glorify God. His purpose was to glorify himself. And in order to do that, he had to send the plagues. But in sending those plagues, he was with the children of Israel because he kept the plagues from them. You go over into the book of Daniel and you read about the three Hebrew children there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He could have kept Nebuchadnezzar from putting them into the fiery furnace, but he didn't. But what happened? When Nebuchadnezzar looked, he said, did, did we not put three men bound into the furnace? But I see four men, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. He didn't keep him from the circumstance, but he was with them in it. Daniel in the lion's den. Don't you know how surprised the king was to open that den the next day and see Daniel there? Sitting on his rock, lions laying there at his feet. I like to imagine that, you know, the lions were laying there going, Daniel, tell us that story again. <laughs> tell us all about that again. God, even though he can, he does not always remove our circumstances I don't know what your circumstances are today but I know 
that God will be with you in them. Verse 7, he says, Let us go unto Judea again. The two days have passed. Jesus says, Now it's time to go. God does things in His own time. I'm going to tell you, we're the impatient ones. You know, we are a microwave generation. When I was a little boy, my grandfather used to go into the kitchen almost every night. He'd take this aluminum pot, and he'd put a little bit of oil in the bottom, and he would pour a cup of kernels in it, and put an aluminum pie pan on top, and he would stand there, and he would shake that over the fire for about ten minutes. Finally, the kernels would start to pop. And he would come in after about 10 or 15 minutes and he would lay a newspaper down in front of him and he would pour about half of it out on the paper. And he and I would sit there and eat popcorn. We're not going to wait 10 minutes for popcorn anymore. <laughs> we put it in the microwave because we want it now. And that's the way we are with God. We want it now. God, I prayed to you 10 minutes ago. Why haven't you answered it yet? He has an answer because he does it in his time and his timing is always, always perfect. If you've prayed and he hasn't answered your prayer yet, it's because it's not time. Of course, the other thing we have to remember is that if you've prayed, that sometimes no is a valid answer. So if, you, if you've been praying for Publishers Clearinghouse to come to your <laughs> front porch and they haven't been there yet... It's either not time or God said no. I'm afraid he'll never send him to my house. He knows it would destroy me. God does things in his time. And what we need to be, instead of being a microwave generation, what we need to be is a generation that is reconciled under God's timing. That's probably one of the hardest things we'll ever do. But that's what we need to be. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? The Jews had just tried to kill Jesus in Judea. In, in chapter 9 of John, it says, And Jesus. And as Jesus passed, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin that this man uh, be blind, uh, the man or his parents? And Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest, and I must work the works of God, and I'm... I must work the works of God and him who sent me while it is day and the night cometh when no man can work and as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world. And that's not where I was wanting to go to. I'm sorry. <clears throat> What's that? Jews had in the past just tried to stone him. They had been trying to kill him. 
And the disciples now are looking at him saying, Jesus, are, are you going back there? You know, they, there had to be a little trepidation, of course, for the life of Christ, but also for their own lives. That if he's going back and they're going to go back, and, and he says, uh, you know, they've just tried to stone you, and, and Christ answered, this is where I was going to 9-3, are there not 12 hours in the day? And if any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now if we go to nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. There is coming a time very soon when Christ is no longer going to be with the disciples. And he's saying, I have got to do my work while I am here. I have no choice but to go to Bethany and do the work that God has destined for me to do. I have got to go and do it. I have got to do what I have to do while I am here. And as he said these things, he said these things, and he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Christ is telling his disciples that Lazarus has died. And he says, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Christ is telling his disciples his plan. This is what we're fixing to do, guys. Lazarus has gone to sleep, and, and we're going to wake Lazarus out of that sleep. And the disciples didn't understand, did they? They said, oh, well, Lazarus will be all right then. If he's sleeping, Lord, he, he's probably getting better. And Jesus had to look at him and tell them plainly, no, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead, but we are going to go and resurrect him. He is telling them exactly what's about to happen. But the disciples did not understand. He says, and I am glad for your sakes that I am not there to the intent that you may believe. Do you see that even his own disciples, his closest circle of friends, have trouble with unbelief? Do you have trouble sometimes with unbelief? I know I do. Sometimes it's just hard to, to think that Christ is really here with us. Christ is watching over us. But he says, nevertheless, let us go unto him. I want you to notice that. When we go to a funeral, we don't go for the person in the casket. We go to console those that are around, the living, right? He did not say, let us go to Mary and Martha. He said, let us go unto him. Understand, Lazarus cannot come to him. Jesus must go to him. We need to understand that it is the same way with us. It is the same way with us. We, before Christ came to us, were in the same state that Lazarus is in here. We were dead. 
We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. We could not go to Christ. The world will tell you today that all you need to do is pray this prayer, accept, do this, do that. Brother, let me tell you something. We're dead. Lazarus is dead. What can Lazarus do to go to Jesus? Not anything. Not anything. Then it says Didymus, or Thomas, who was called Didymus. Didymus, Didymus means twin. A lot of people believe that he had a twin. Said unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now I want you to understand, he's not talking about dying with Lazarus. That's not what he's talking about. Remember over here in verse, uh, verse 8, his disciples said unto him, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. The Jews have been trying to kill Christ. We can go all the way back to chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, And after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. He would not walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Drop down to verse 19 of the same chapter. He says, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? The Jews are trying to kill him. Verse 25. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? Chapter 8, verse 37. I know ye are of Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Verse 40. But now ye seek to kill me, a man who hath told you the truth. Verse 59. Then, then took they up stones to cast at him. Brother, they weren't throwing stones at him just to run him off. They were trying to kill him. <clears throat> Chapter 10, verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And in verse 39 it says, Therefore they sought again to take him. To take him to kill him. There is a real threat here against the life of Christ. So when, the, when, when Thomas said, let us go and die with him, he wasn't talking about dying with, with Lazarus. If Jesus is determined to go to Bethany and die, then let us go die with him. That's what he's saying. There, there is a, a very real sense of a fear of trepidation in going back to where they're about to go. Then when Jesus came and found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now that actually is that actually is important that he was dead for four days. There was and still is uh, in a lot of places in the Orient a belief that when a person dies 
that the spirit, the soul, is tethered to that body for three days. And after three days, it is finally released, and it can go on. Now, I hope we don't believe that. My Bible tells me that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means now, immediately. But there are those that believe that it takes three days. Now, this was not the first resurrection that Christ performed. You can go back into Luke chapter 7 and you read about a funeral that Christ came upon there in Jerusalem. And it says he walked up and he placed his hand on the funeral bower and they stopped and he said to the, to the only son of this widow, he said to him, uh, arise, and he immediately sat up and began to talk. And then we find out in, in uh, chapter uh, 8 of Luke, we read about a man named Jarius who had a daughter who was sick. And she passed away, and just as she passed away, just as Christ was getting there, and they go in, and it says that he, Peter, James, and John, and the parents of the daughter went into the room, and he said to the daughter, Maiden, arise, and she stood up, and they fed her. Okay? So this is not, Lazarus is not going to be the first uh, resurrection that Christ has performed. We know of at least two others that have happened. I heard a preacher say one time that Christ broke up every funeral he ever came to. <laughs> and, I, and I don't doubt that. But this is not the first one, but it's the first one where he's been dead for three days. We know that Jews would bury their dead as quickly as possible. A lot of times the same day, and usually at most the day following their death. So we can be fairly confident that this young man that was here was either the same day that he had died or the day after. We know that Jarius' daughter had just died when Christ went in. So they're kind of in that three-day time window here where their soul could still be there. But we don't have that with Lazarus. We know that Lazarus was dead. In fact, when Christ gets there, he's been dead not just three days, he's been dead four. And just in case some of you think that maybe that, that, um, that belief is not real or was not real, we have, I know of at least two terms that we still use today two figures of speech that came out of that belief. You see, back in the medieval times, somewhere around 1100 A.D., when they would bury somebody, they would put a, a pipe into the casket, and they would run a string down that pipe, and on the outside they would put a bell. Yeah. So that if you woke up in the casket, you could pull the string and ring the bell, and somebody would come dig you up. Now, that's true. Well, I guess during the day, it'd be pretty common for to have people out and about and you could hear the bell. But at night, they would appoint somebody, they would hire somebody to sit in the cemetery at night to listen for the bell. <laughs> now, we get two terms out of that. The person in the coffin is called a dead ringer. <laughs> You ever heard that term? It's called a dead ringer. And the person that was hired to sit in the cemetery at night was said to be working the graveyard shift. <laughs> Two terms that came out of that that we still use today. I bet some of you probably worked the graveyard shift. I've worked it, I, you know. 
So this belief is real. And we find that Lazarus has now been dead for four days. So we know that his spirit has left the body and has gone on to be with the Lord. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem about 15 furlongs. That's always puzzled me. You know what 15 furlongs is? It's about 1.8 miles. So he was only, he was less than two miles from and that's that's always of course I had a friend who just came back from Israel and he was talking about it about over there and he said the thing that astonished him the most was how close everything was he says you think about these things and you, you think about uh, the garden of Gethsemane being outside the walls of Jerusalem and you think it's out yonder he said no it's, it's right there and it's the same with this you think about Jerusalem it says it's nigh unto Bethany Bethany is nigh unto Jerusalem. It's, only, it's less than two miles away. Many of the Jews came to comfort Martha and Mary. But as soon as Martha heard that Jesus would come, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said unto her Lord, she said, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it you. Look at the faith of this dear lady. She knows that even now, even after four days, Jesus, if you had just asked God, he'd still bring my brother back to life. Then Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, Well, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? I believe that Martha believed that Jesus could raise her brother. I believe that Martha believed that he will be raised in that final day. But I believe what Martha did not understand was that Christ was there then to do what she was asking. But I think so often we are guilty of being able to see way out there knowing that one day Christ will, knowing that one day Christ is, but failing to see that He is with us now. We are not serving a God that is far off. We are serving a God that is here now. Martha did not see that. She did not see that he was here now. But I want you to know, Martha, in the very next verse, gives one of the greatest testimonies that there is in Scripture. When 
He said, Believest thou this? And Martha answered him and said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. What a great testimony. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that He is the Christ that came into the world? Do we believe that He is here watching over us today? Or are we waiting for some time in the future for Him to come back? Some people might say that, that Martha was so heavenly minded that she was no earthly good. You know? She's looking for things way down the road instead of seeing what was right there. Then she goes and she tells her sister Mary and it says she told her secretly. You know, she needed to tell her secretly because remember the Jews are looking for Christ. Well, who is there to comfort Martha and Mary? The very Jews that are looking to kill Christ. So she tells her sister secretly that Christ has come and that He's called for you. And as soon as she hears that, she arises quickly and goes unto Him. And it says that Jesus was not yet in that place. He was in the same place where Martha was. He hasn't gone anywhere. The Jews were with which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw that she arose up hastily and went out. They thought she was going to the, to the tomb to cry there, and so they followed her out. But we see Mary do something when she gets to Christ that Martha did not do. Then Mary, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. When we see Mary with Christ, we see Mary at Christ's feet. Where was she when she was anointing him with oil and wiping her, wiping his feet with her hair? She was at his feet. And that's where we should be. More and more often we should be at the feet of Christ. That's where she made her supplication. That's where she said, Lord, if you were only here, my brother wouldn't have died. We should strive, I believe, to be more like the example of Mary and less like the example of Martha. In the next chapter, you'll read the story about Martha and Mary where Mary is at the feet of Christ and she's anointing His feet with oil and she's drying His feet with her hair and Martha's in the kitchen and she's going, Lord, tell my sister to get in here and help me. Martha was so cumbered about the things of this world and the things that were needed to be done today that she failed to be at the feet of Christ. Brother, we need to care less about this world and spend more time at the feet of Christ. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and saw the Jews weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
think that's every school kid's favorite verse, you know. And you gotta you gotta memorize one, that's the one to go for right there. Jesus wept. Most people will tell you that that verse shows the humanity of Christ. And it does. I, I, I can't argue that. It does show the humanity of Christ. We need to remember that Jesus was verily God and verily man. He was truly God and He was truly man. He was all God. He was all man. 100% God, 100% man. I cannot explain that to you. I don't fully understand that, but I believe it because the Bible tells me that's true. And as a man, he wept. What I want to know is why he wept. Why did Christ weep at the tomb of Lazarus? Was it because his friend was dead and he was sad? No, because he went there to, to resurrect him. His whole purpose, go back to the, to the previous page, the previous verses, his whole purpose in going to Bethany was to raise him from his sleep. What did he tell Mary and he tell Martha when he got there? I am the resurrection. Your brother shall live. He's not sad because Lazarus is dead. He's there to bring him back to life. I think he's sad for two reasons or, or weeping, crying for two reasons. It says that he, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And in verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind and have caused that even this man should not have died? Yes, he could have. This man who opened the eyes of the blind could have kept Lazarus from dying. But as they said that, then it says, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself. Why is he groaning in himself? He's groaning in himself because of the ignorance of the people. I've told you plainly. He told the disciples very plainly why he was here. They didn't understand the first time when he said they're asleep, so he looked at him and said, No, he's dead. I'm going to wake him up. And when they got there, they didn't understand. You would think these 12 disciples that were there with him could have informed the other people around, no, you guys come watch this. You're going to want to see this. Come out here. But they were weeping and crying because they did not understand why Christ was here. Christ is here to call the dead to life. I think the other reason is because he knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For four days now, Lazarus has been in the presence of God. For four days now, he has been in a place where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow, there are no more tears. He is in the place that we all desire to be. And now he is going to call him back to this sin-cursed earth. And not only is he going to call him back, chapter 12, verse 9, says, And much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus 
to death also. He's not just bringing him back from glory to go into this sin-cursed earth again. He knows that when he gets here, the Jews are going to be seeking to kill him too because they have to stop the testimony of Jesus Christ. I believe that's why Jesus was crying. I believe that is why he wept. They say below... They say, Behold how he loveth him because he was weeping. Jesus goes to the grave and it was a cave and a stone lay upon it and Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh for he has been dead four days. Behold, he stinks. He's been dead for four days. You know that body is starting to decay. Jesus said, Say I Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Martha, I told you when you first got here, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Martha, you've got to believe. Then Jesus prayed. They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I know that thou hearest me always but because of the people which stand by I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. We have several examples in scripture of Christ praying. Well, if Christ prays, shouldn't we also pray? Should we not be on our knees thanking God? Christ thanked God that He heard Him. Has God ever answered a prayer of yours? Have you thanked Him for it? We need to be thanking God that He hears our prayers. And notice this, He said that He prayed like that so that those around him could see. You ever been out in public? Maybe at a restaurant? And when your food comes, you think, well, should I pray or maybe I should just go ahead and eat? I don't want to be conspicuous. I don't, I don't want to bring attention to myself. Jesus says, no, I prayed so that they could see me. I prayed to set an example for them. Should we not set the same example? I, I have actually, it's been years, years ago, uh, out to dinner with the family. We prayed beforehand, and a little while later, this, this couple, as they were leaving, stopped by the table. And they said, we're so thankful to see you pray with your children. We don't know who's watching. And we don't know what they see. I'll tell you, though, God's watching all the time and he sees everything but we need to pray for if for nothing else to set an example to those around about us do you know a lot of times that we may be the only bible that anybody ever reads 
Our example in this world is important. And we need to do as Christ, and we need to set the example, and we need to pray. And we need to pray in public. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. This was a very personal and a very effectual call. Christ's call is always personal and it's always effectual. When I was <laughs> when I was younger, I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church on Sunday morning. I got <laughs> drugged to church on Sunday night. I got drugged on Wednesday. I got drugged to all the special meetings. I got drugged to the special meetings of all the churches in the Birmingham area. <laughs> but there came a time when I, when I was in college that I decided that I needed to read the Bible. I never read it. And so I got my Bible out and I sat down and I started in Genesis chapter 1 and I started to read it might as well have been written in Japanese or Arabic or some other language because I didn't understand anything. In the beginning, God made no sense to me whatsoever. So I put it back on the shelf and I left it there for probably three, four, five years. You see, I was trying to read it out of some sort of sense of, of duty or obligation, but there came a time when I felt a need. And I took my Bible out and I started at Genesis 1. And the words jumped off the page. They came to life. I could hear some of the sermons from those old preachers and all of a sudden they had meaning to me. And my Bible became a friend. something that I wanted to read and I wanted to understand. You see, the Lord had dealt with me. The Lord had called me. And that call had an effect. The Lord called Lazarus. And that call was effective to him. You know, in chapter 10 of John, verse 27, Christ speaks and He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. First of all, notice Christ said, My sheep. He didn't say all the sheep. He didn't say every sheep. Christ has a sheep. He said, My sheep hear Me. And He says, I know them. And they hear His voice, and when they hear His voice, there's an effect on it, they follow Him. Brother, we are Christ's sheep. When we hear Him, His voice has an effect on us, and that effect is to follow Him. There, there are so many places in Scripture where you hear Christ call to His people. Acts chapter 8, where He calls out to Saul. Did the call have an effect? Absolutely. In chapter 12 of John, you'll hear him call to Martha. 
when Martha's complaining about Mary, what does he say? He says, Martha, Martha. And you never hear Martha complain again. There was a tax player, payer named Zacchaeus, and I think it's Luke 17, maybe Luke 19, that climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Christ. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't believe he was the only person in that tree. Certainly he was not the only person in this great crowd of people that thought, if I climb that tree, I can see better. <laughs> but he was the only one that Christ called. Christ stopped under that tree and he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I will abide at your house. Did it have an effect? What did Zacchaeus do? He came down. The call of Christ is personal and it's effectual. Christ will at some point, if you are his, he will call you by name and you will respond. Lazarus responded and he comes forth but notice he comes forth bound in his grave clothes. He comes forth bound in his grave clothes and the Lord looks at some of those that are there and he says loose him and let him free. Now that is the natural history of the story of Lazarus. But as most of our historical accounts in the Scripture, they not only have a natural application, but they also have a spiritual application. <clears throat> we, each one of us, every child of God, was at one time dead, bound in our grave clothes of sin. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there because I don't want to misquote it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive. You hath he brought back from the dead. You hath he quickened who were sick in trespasses and sins? Who were ailing a little bit? No. You were dead. We were in the same state as Lazarus. We were dead, bound in our sins. You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And listen to this. It goes on. It says, Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. This world is synonymous with sin according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. It says that we walked in accordance with them. We walked in accordance with the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation. Our conversation is a manner of life. That's not the way we talk. It's the way we act. It's what we do. Among whom we also had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. You know what Paul is doing there? He is describing how badly we stink. 
We were dead and we stunk. But thank God for verse 4. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in our sins. When Lazarus was dead in the grave, Christ still loved him and Christ still went to him. And thank God that when we were dead in our sins, Christ loved us and came to us and called us out of that, that state that we were in. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, has made us alive together with Christ by grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ. You know what he's done? He's resurrected us from that death in sin. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Why did He take us out of that stinky, dead state that we were in? So that He might give glory to God. Amen. For by grace are ye saved through faith. The world will tell you that. Got to have faith to be saved. Yep. What they don't tell you is that, is it, that faith is a gift from God. You didn't have it. You ain't going to get it unless God gives it to you. For, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me ask you a question. Can Lazarus boast in his resurrection from the dead? What did Lazarus had to do with that resurrection other than the fact he was the one that was dead? Did he call out to God? No. Did he pray to God? No. Did he accept? No. He was totally passive. Totally passive. That was all of God. It was all of Christ. Brother, and it's the same with you and I. It is absolutely the same with you and I. We are totally passive. We have absolutely nothing to do with it. It is because of God's love that he called us from that state. First uh, John 4.19 right? We love him because he first loved us. If you love God today, if you love Christ today, it is because Christ first loved you. Peter, second Peter. No, first Peter. First Peter two nine puts it this way. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that peculiar means special. That doesn't mean you're odd, although most of us are a little odd, but that's not what it says. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness 
God chose this people and he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You has he called out of that darkness into his marvelous light. You were not a people and now you are a people. You did not have mercy, but now you do have mercy. And it's all because of the call of Christ. Then he tells him, he says, loose him and let him go. I believe that that's what the gospel is for. I believe that's what the word of God is for. When Christ called us out of that death in sin, He gave us power over sin. He gave us the power to put off the bonds of sin and to follow Christ. I believe the gospel does that. I believe the word of God does that. But I believe that we also each one of us have an obligation to help each other to do that. We call that accountability. We have accountability one to another. If we see a brother or a sister uh, descending into sin or walking in sin, we have a responsibility to go to them and tell them that and try to help them get back on the right path. Notice Christ turned to those that were with Lazarus. Christ didn't do it himself. He turned to those that were standing around him and he said, loose him and let him go. I think a lot of times we think that that's the work of the pastor and only the pastor. But it's not. It's part of his responsibility. Yeah, that that comes under part of, of leading the flock of God. But brother, we all have a responsibility in that. To not only be accountable, but to hold accountable those around us. One more point. And it's in John 11 and in verse 45, the very next verse. Christ said, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus came forth. He looked at the people around there and he said, loose him and let him go. And then in in verse 45 we read, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him. You know what is so astounding to me about that verse? Is the word many. Why doesn't it say everybody? These people just witnessed the greatest miracle that has ever been done. This man who has been dead for four days was called back to life. They're there. They see him. And yet there are some people that are there that still do not believe. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. And they gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? They weren't there trying to find out how to promote him and how to promote the miracles. They were there to plot against him and try to figure out a way. How do we take this man and kill him so that he'll stop doing these miracles? 
Do you understand there were people there at the resurrection of Lazarus? There were people at the resurrection of the the widow's son. There were people there at the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. There were people here at the resurrection of Lazarus that do not believe what they have just seen. But the good news is there's coming a day. There is coming a day when the eastern sky is going to split, it's going to be rolled back like a scroll. And I want to find this because I don't, again, I don't want to misquote it. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There's the people that don't believe. They they saw it with their own eyes and they refused to believe it. Do you know I believe there were people that saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saw Him walking this earth for 40 days after He was resurrected that refused to believe. Still in Christ. I would not have you sorrow as them that have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that this morning? I do. Even so them which also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto the word for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not making this up. This is coming straight from God. This is from the horse's mouth. From the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There is coming a time when Christ is coming back. And the Apostle Paul over in Philippians writes about that time and he says that when that comes, he says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory and honor of God. Well, then there is a time coming that even those that deny now the resurrection of Lazarus, those that deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a day coming when they will not be able to deny that they will bow the knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the very glory and honor of God. There's a song that I listened to on the way in on Sunday morning. It's on a playlist that I have. And this song is it's actually about the crippled man that was carried to Jesus by his friends on his bed. And as they're carrying him, these these people say, can you just imagine the conversation that went on with the people carrying this bed with this lame man to see Jesus? It says they like to imagine that the first man said, you know, I know Jesus touched my eyes when I was blind. But this, this man here, he's so much worse off than I am, I just don't think Jesus can help him. And the second man said, well, He touched my hand when it was withered. He said, but this man, this man will never walk. 
The third man said, well, nobody here was worse off than I was. He said, you see, Jesus cleansed me when I was a leper. But this man, this man is, his condition is so much worse than my condition that, that he'll never walk again. And it said, then all the eyes turned to the fourth man to see how he would criticize and doubt. But those three men were startled with amazement when that fourth man said his name out loud. He said, my name is Lazarus. And I want to testify. He said, you think your little problem is too hard for Jesus? And he says, let me tell you about my God. Brother, when you feel like your problems are too big, when you feel like you're being tested too much, think about Lazarus. And remember that the God that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same God that you and I serve today. There is no problem too big 